One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Luke chapter 16, verse 10, and Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Bridge Radio. And we're coming at you from the great state of Texas. Texas. I am your host, A.W. Varilla, and in front of me is my co-host, Joey the Sidekick Velasquez. Yo. And always the president of this book factory, Steve the boss, then Hartog. Good to be with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you everybody for tuning in. So, what's what's going on, guys? What's new? What's happening? Uh, the world is on fire right now, but uh, we're, we're here and we alive and faithful. We're bringing some normalcy. Well, yes, actually, I don't know if it's normal, but yeah. <laughs> Say what, Joey? <laughs> I was I was just saying I actually got corona, but I'm kidding. Oh yeah, don't be messing around with that. Just make sure. Did you stock up on toilet paper and water? Dude, I've had it for like months. I don't know why everyone stocked up so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, just uh, I I know that uh, we everybody's just been stocking up on just toilet paper and water and i'm just kind of like man what's happening here for the last several weeks everybody's just taking all the supplies you know so well whatever but it's been kind of hilarious just the memes on social media those things have been really hilarious as well i i don't know if you guys what is your funniest meme that you came across me yeah uh, well, it was just a video. Like, it looks like it's a drug deal, but all she takes out is like a toilet paper roll. She's like, "Here, you didn't see me. You didn't see me." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's yeah, people one. people have been going crazy at the at the um, wholesale places like Sam's Club and uh, and uh, Costco. So yeah. it's just been crazy. So, well, well ladies and gentlemen, uh, today we have a first time guest author Stephen Whitmer, A Big Gospel in Small Places, Why Ministry and Forgotten Communities Matter. Um, this is a second part series. Uh, we've, we had uh, Pastor Dustin Moore from Chicago several weeks ago and on episode 119, I believe, and he was just talking about how uh, doing gospel and in, in big cities, um, uh, if you haven't listened to that, please go back and listen. Um, he lived in New York and now he's in Chicago and then just the challenges and joy of just doing those types of ministry in big places and then today we're just going to be bringing it down to the rural areas so I'm looking forward to having this conversation with Stephen Whitmer uh we were able to get him on and yeah we're excited to have him yeah I think that uh people who minister in these rural more remote places Mm -hmm. are often overlooked you know it's a it's a huge Ministry to mm. be able to uh, to reach out to people who otherwise don't have an opportunity to gather together as believers, you know, to minister in small churches and rural communities where you just don't have other options like we take for granted. So it's a huge uh, it's a huge ministry, and I'm just thankful that uh, we have people like that who are willing to sacrifice for yeah. the body. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get to uh, unpack that today in this episode. Uh, again, for our listeners, uh, please, please don't forget to subscribe to Bridge Radio. We are on Apple, Android, Google, and Stitcher Radio. 
All right, guys. Are you guys ready to get this interview started? Let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. Stephen Whitmer is pastor of Pepperell Christian Fellowship in Massachusetts and an adjunct professor of New Testament at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He's also co-founder of Small Town Summit, an organization that serves rural churches and pastors. Welcome, Stephen Whitmer, to Bridge Radio for the first time. Hey, thanks so much. Really good to be here. Well, Stephen, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, this is actually a two-part series that we were doing. We had uh, a buddy of our pastor friend from Chicago. Uh, he's a buddy of mine, and he did uh, uh, a show on just ministering in big cities. Um, he uh, lived in New York and then currently right now is pastoring a church in Chicago in like in Chicago, Chicago, not like a suburb. Um, and he was just go ahead. He was just talking about just the challenges and joy of doing ministry in a big city. And then we came across your book and we we're just like, wow, somebody actually wrote a book about uh, preaching the gospel in rural areas. Like I was just surprised. And, and Steve was just showing me the book and we we're like, oh, we got to get him on. And, and yeah. we're just really happy that you came on. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm really pleased to be on. I I'll, I'll be curious to see how much overlap there is between um, urban kind of city center ministry and um, and particularly maybe in areas that are underprivileged and small town ministry because I suspect there there will be some overlap. Yeah, I I, I think there the, there will be some. Um, but actually, just going through your book, I was actually surprised that maybe there won't be as much as I thought that there would be. Hmm. Um, but that was just really interesting, just how detailed you're just getting in your book. Um, so, Stephen, before we get started here, uh, can you go ahead and just please share with our audience a little bit about yourself and how God drew you to Saving Faith? Yeah, so you shared a, a little bit already. Um, I grew up in um, north-central Maine. I'm, I'm now a pastor in Pepperell, Massachusetts, so we're uh, real close to the New Hampshire border. We're about an hour northwest of Boston, and I've been here in Pepperell for coming up on 12 years as the pastor of Pepperell Christian Fellowship. Um, I grew up in north central Maine in a tiny little town, and actually my growing up is sort of a, of a piece with my story of small town ministry because um, my father was a pastor in this tiny town of Monson, about 700 people or so, and I loved uh, growing up in my town, but as time went, went along, I sort of developed an itch to get away from it and to get to some big places, and I sort of bought into the the cultural model that if you want your life to count, if you want to be influential, you you need to get away from the small places and get to the big places, and and even you need to get far away from where you grew up. Mm. Um, so I I I followed that course for many years. I I went to college um, at Wheaton College near Chicago, and then spent a couple of years living in Minneapolis and um, then back to New England for seminary and then overseas for further graduate work in England. And uh, a lot of that time I was spending in big cities and um, influential churches, large churches, and it was really a surprising turn of events for my wife and me when 12 or 13 years ago God began to make clear that we should move to this small town, 12,000 people or so, of Pepperell, Massachusetts, so we can get into more of that story if you like. Um, I became a Christian when I was just a young boy. Uh, my father 
led me and I have an identical twin brother, and he led both of us to wow. Christ at the same time after reading a book to us. <laughs> wow. And then, um, yeah, about uh, three years later, my younger brother, who's about three years younger, uh, my father read him the same book, and he became a Christian too. <laughs> wow. So, so you yeah. have a twin brother. So there's I have an identical twin brother. So yeah. there's somebody out in the world that looks exactly like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just about. Um, does he? Is he? Does he? Is he in ministry as well? No, he teaches at he teaches American history at James Madison University. So, interestingly enough, our lives have taken kind of parallel tracks: doing graduate work and then really focusing on teaching. But but he's a historian. Oh yeah. wow, that's awesome. So can you tell us a little bit, Stephen, about how you felt the Lord drawing you into uh, rural ministry? Go with that a little bit. I'm interested to, to see how you were, were drawn back into a rural lifestyle and ministry. I had felt called to New England particularly for, for a number of years, partly because I was from Maine, and also because I, re, I, I started to read about the Great Awakening and Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and was very aware of the need uh, for for churches and pastors hmm. in New England, and uh, I, I moved back from graduate work and taught briefly at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary with the purpose of really looking for churches that I could pastor. And while we were in the process of, uh, I was in the process of teaching. We were in the process of searching for churches. Uh, we got pretty far along in the process with a couple different churches in Massachusetts. Uh, one of them on paper was sort of the career choice. Hmm. It was a bit larger and uh, closer into the city, and there would have been more university student ministry. So it was all the things that we would have been looking for. Um, but uh, we were also further along in the process with this church in Pepperell, Massachusetts. And it wasn't the sort of ministry I'd been looking for, but um, as we sought counsel and we prayed about it, uh, we, it became very clear to us um, partly through an inner sense and partly through the counsel of of uh, trusted colleagues and mentors that we should pull out of that other process hmm. and uh, move forward with this church. And, you know, it's is, is actually, I think for me, um, partly the counterintuitive nature of it that hmm. encouraged me, um, this is what we should do, because I was pretty sure in my own mind I wasn't, I wasn't pursuing uh, Pepperell Christian Fellowship for um, the wrong reasons, you know, just to, to build a career. Right. It felt like, hey, this this it must be from the Lord that we're having this strong sense of call. And then in, in the decades since coming, we've heard just really marvelous stories from the search committee about God's very clear, surprising leading for them to call us, too. So that's, it's been confirmed many mm. times over. Wow, that's interesting. I love to hear stories like that. I mean, speaking personally, I never would have imagined 15 years ago that I would be living in in Laredo here on the border of uh, Mexico. But uh, so so thankful mm. that the Lord actually did, you know, lead us here as a family and, and for the work that he's given us to do here. So I'm just curious to hear other people's stories as well. Mm. Um, can you talk a little bit? Yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to be surprised. You it know? is. <laughs> it is. Well, and it's, the, it's confirming in my own mind and heart that uh, this isn't just my plan. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And it's, uh, it's so fulfilling to see how, you know, the Lord draws and uh, gives us the work, gives us true fulfillment in the work that he's called us to do. So even though it's not what we had maybe expected, 
yeah. um, our life was going to look like. Yes, and, and you know, I, I have rarely experienced the clarity of call hmm. that I did, uh, that both of us did around the time of coming. And, and it's been a, a tremendous gift, too, in times when ministry has been difficult and hmm. maybe I'd be tempted to question things. And we go back to that uh, that real clear call, and sure. there's been a, a massive source of strength. Yeah, that's great. Stephen, can you talk a little bit about uh, how you would define rural, at least for your book, and uh, what is the approximate number of the population in the U.S. in total that uh, would be considered living in a rural area? That's an important question. It's also a very difficult question to answer, Mm. surprisingly. I think Mm. that the further I got into writing the book and the more I began to to look at definitions— the more I realize this is a very complex question. Sure. Mm. And uh, demographers go about it different ways. So I, I drew quite a bit on this uh, Princeton sociologist, Robert Wuthno, who mm. writes about small towns. He has a book called Small Town America. Mm. And he, he defines small towns as being less than 25,000 people okay. and not part of an urbanized area. So he's going for small and remote. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he also says, well, there, there are a lot of small towns in the U.S. that are in urban fringe areas. Mm-hmm. And if you include those, if you know, they're still small, but they're closer into a city, well, you get a whole whole bunch more, millions more of Americans that you could count as living in small towns. The problem with that is it, that, you know, 25,000, that's just sort of an arbitrary threshold. Mm-hmm. Um, who says 25,000? Why not 20,000 or 15,000? And uh, kind of partly adding to the complexity of this is that U.S. government agencies actually define rural and urban differently. Often rural is just whatever's not urban. <laughs> so, and, and, and um, you know, there are, I think, um, 12 or 13 different definitions of what is urban. So uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, for, for example, says – uh, the the population thresholds that are used to differentiate rural and urban they say they range from 2,500 all the way up to 50,000. It just depends on how you're defining and what you're looking for. Hmm. So I I prefer to not give um, you know just a simplistic, overly simple definition of what is rural and what is urban. I I found it's a lot more useful to think on on a continuum okay. hmm. and to say. Uh, we know there are very small places. Um, I think where I'm from in Maine, there are all these unincorporated townships. They don't even have a name. You know, they're called like RD34 hmm. or something like that on the map. <laughs> That's that, on one end. It sounds like a sci- something out of a sci-fi movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's on one end of the spectrum. And then all the way on the other are the, the big world megacities, hmm. you know, Shanghai and Hong Kong and places like that. And and all of us live in communities that we could plot somewhere on that continuum between small place and big place. And so I, I tend to the, – the terminology I use in my book is small places. I, mm, okay. It's a big gospel in small places. And I think of small places as, as communities that are small, relatively lacking in population, economic influence, cultural influence. Mm. So maybe uh, you know a rough and ready uh, rule that I use sometimes with people is if you live in a place, when you introduce yourself to people, you need to say, I live in Pepperell, and it's an hour northwest of Boston. Mm-hmm. You probably live in a small place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 
uh, you know, people who live in Boston don't don't introduce themselves and say, I live in Boston, Massachusetts. That's an hour <laughs> southeast of Pepperell, Massachusetts. Right. You know? Yeah, I live so, in 2572. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a, you know, there's a, um, there's a, there's a way of defining rural that's more of a thick description, not just density, population density or population numbers, but it's more about feel, um, a rurality. Uh, maybe sometimes it's associated with agriculture or just a sense of smallness and relative deprivation. Sometimes that's a way of getting out what's rural. Hmm. Yeah. And yeah. what percentage would you say of the population uh, in the U.S. would uh, would live in, in a rural area as defined by that, that definition? Well, a, a relatively small uh, percentage and increasingly small because, um, as you know, the world and the U.S. are rapidly urbanizing. So, sure, yeah. Um, sometime, I think it was around 2007, the world passed uh, this threshold where most of the population now lives in urban areas. Okay. And um, in, in the U.S., the disparity is even greater. I think it's more like uh, around uh, perhaps 80-20%. Okay, mm -hmm. gotcha. Um, yeah, I know yeah. In, your, in your book you said that more than 3 million people around the world today, nearly half of the world's population lives in rural areas. That was just an interesting uh, number that I just came across in your, in your introduction. Yeah, that's right. So that number is decreasing, but it's still a massive number. Yeah, that is huge. Um, so some, sometimes you read, well, you know, especially in kind of urban apologetic literature, uh, books that are advocating for urban ministry, mm. uh, which I applaud, uh, but you'll 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 read about uh, how how rapidly the world is urbanizing, and to that I say yes. Um, however, let's remember the billions of people still living in smaller places. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that's just yeah. Just to think think about that that there is billions of people that do not live in ur urban areas, and are they being mm -hmm. forgotten? Yeah, and Stephen. All that being said, why has there been a renewed interest in small places? I think a, a big part of it actually is is coming from 2016 and the presidential election. So, you know, there's there was a, a massive surprise for people when they woke up the, the morning after the election, and uh, including a lot of uh, educated folks and media sources on the coast, and and they said, "Who are these folks who voted for Donald Trump?" And, and there was um, a massive kind of uh, inquiry into. Uh, small towns hmm. and rural places, and um, sort of combined with that, I think coming right around the same time were, were some very popular books, and then subsequently as well, uh, books like J.D. Vance's book, Hillbilly Elegy, that became a New York Times bestseller, and hmm. uh, Tara Westover wrote a book about growing up in a, a small rural place called Educated, and others. And, um, and then Robert Wuthno has written books like The Left Behind, which is an attempt to kind of explain to the country who rural people are, who, who are the largely white, uh, small-town, rural people who voted for Trump. Hmm. And so there's just been a, there's been a slew of um, articles over the, the past four years in Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, all sorts of Vox, you know, all sorts of media outlets trying to explain and trying to understand more um, about rural voters. So that's been part of it. And I think um, a lot of Christian ministries then um, 
maybe partly on the back of that um, have experienced more interest. So there have been good profile pieces about missions like village missions, uh, rural organization, and and others too have noticed uh, an increase. And then we've also seen um, new ministries being formed for a small town or rural ministry. Wow. Yeah. You know, I was just uh, just thinking you went to Wheaton and you were, I'm sure, a frequent visitor of Chicago whenever you uh, you could. Um, and that's a, yeah, the third largest city in in the country. I was actually born and bred there, as the English say, um, in Chicago. And I, you know, God uh, brought my wife and I down here. And, you know, one of the things that in, in the podcast we did on uh, with uh, Dustin Moore from Chicago, Pastor Moore, um, is that what we've seen is that a lot of the ministries have actually left, leave, I'm sorry, those urban areas and actually go to more of a suburban rural area, uh, was, which was very interesting for him to say. And I have also observed that just growing up there my whole life and seeing churches in the inner city and then just going back now and not seeing a lot of them. Yeah, like, like it's if I if I I can count probably in, in both my hands in just the sh- the north part of Chicago how many s- churches are there? I mean, I even seen some Catholic churches closed down, which was very interesting, just because of the, the 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 economics and how expensive it it is to be in the city and yeah. Mm. So um. Stephen, what are some of the challenges challenges in ministering in a small places, and how we how can we fruitfully minister in a small in small places? I think the the challenges of ministry in small places are largely just challenges of ministry in any places. Mm, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, ministry is hard uh, and demanding, no matter. You know where you are. Yeah. Think of Paul in Second Corinthians eleven, listing the travails of his ministry, and mm. he says uh, all the anxieties for the churches, and and anyone who actually cares about people is going to have those kinds of challenges. So, you know, uh, when when we are doing small town summits and we're meeting with uh, rural and small town pastors and lay people, a lot of the things we talk about and a lot of the things that folks struggle with are just challenges and struggles anywhere you go. Uh, but there's also, I think there are also some challenges that are are maybe unique to, or at least there's there's maybe um, a particular um, a particular angle on if you're in a smaller place. So I think of things like um, sometimes lacking resources. Mm. Um, you know, when you're when you're in a tiny little town in the middle of Iowa or in the Northwest somewhere. Um, you know, you're you're pretty remote. You're maybe an hour and a half or a couple hours from a decent-sized city or a mall or something. Um, it's you're just going to lack resources. You might lack manpower. A lot of rural churches, not all, but a lot, are smaller, and so um, you know you might you might not have a website. If you have a website, it might might look a little bit outdated. You might not have a professional graphic designer who comes yeah. to your church and volunteers their services. Um, you, you might, in terms of lacking resources, you might just lack sufficient funds to be full-time in vocational ministry. So mm. there are a lot of bivocational or tri-vocational pastors, and that mm. can be a challenge. Sometimes it can be a huge gospel gain, but it can also be a challenge. Um, and then, you know, there I, I think of struggles like loneliness. 
um, you know, for, for years I would sort of, I, and this is sometimes worsened by social media. So, you know, you can be kind of surfing Facebook or Twitter, or whatever, and, and see urban pastors who are meeting together and their orbits overlap a lot. And you might feel sort of out on the, on the edge and on the periphery for years. I, I, I had some of those feelings. Uh, so there are challenges. Um, there are many challenges, but also I, I think there are just such great opportunities to fruitfully minister in small towns and rural areas. So one of the, the helpful concepts for me has been, and I just drew this from Robert Wuthno's book, um, Small Town America. Uh, he uses this, this, these, these images of the circle and the arrow. And he says, particularly in suburbs, if you plot your life, so you put a dot on your, on, on the map and, and your house is the dot. And, now you think about all the places you go, um, it's an arrow. You're driving away from your house in one direction to grocery shop. You're driving in another to get the kids to school, another to your work, another to church, another to the library. You know, you're, you're, the, 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 thing that carry, the symbol that characterizes your life, you could say, would be an arrow. In a small town, especially a remote small town, it's more of a circle. So you're living within a bounded set, mm. even – a common geographical horizon with other people. And, you know, we're are in Pepper. We're not too far away from Boston. We're an hour. We're about 20 minutes away from Nashua, New Hampshire. So we have options. We don't need to stay in town, but, but even in our town, uh, there is much more of a kind of a circle. So we have one elementary school. We have one middle school. We have one post office, one grocery store, kind of a small one, uh, one live, one town library, one community center, and that means that when you're doing small-town ministry, you are living within a circle, a relatively mm. small circle, and there's going to be overlap in that circle. So you're going to see the same people at school pickup when you get your kids at the end of the day as you see in the town library and on the town field and at the town uh, July 4 parade and that sort of thing. And that can be an incredibly fruitful context for ministry because you're, you're building relationships and you have opportunities, um, particularly because it's smaller, a smaller context and you're more visible. You have opportunities to show the love of Jesus and to build deep relationships and to have an influence that is probably way more um, – outsized uh, of an influence than you would have in a very large city. Mm. Mm, and wow. now what, what what effect do you think the coronavirus is having on urban ministry? I feel like it's, it has more of an effect on like, you know, like you, you couldn't resist. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. I had to ask because I mean, yeah. you think about it and it's like we're hearing about these churches that are some churches are choosing not to meet up. Some churches are still choosing to meet up like the church I went to this Sunday. We met up. But a lot of them, what they're doing now is they're meeting up at homes. And it's like, what what effect does that have in the ministry that you do or has it had an effect so far? Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a fascinating question. I know, I'm a fascinating <laughs> um, our guy. Church, <laughs> yeah. uh, our church uh, just this past Sunday met online, so we did Facebook Live. Mm, mm. Um, and, I mean, I don't know all the, the, the impacts and, and all the, the differences in impact between rural and, and urban churches. I mean, but one thought that immediately comes to mind is that uh, rural churches, as we were talking about, generally are going to have fewer resources. Um, um, and so in, in just even just 
technologically. I mean, so there, there's a there's a sense in which Facebook maybe or Google has has democratized access to technology. You don't need fancy cameras and a well-lit stage in order to broadcast your Sunday sermon. I did it. I did it this past Sunday from my study at home, and uh, a bunch of our folks at church watched. So, but but there's going to be differences uh, based on what kind of resources you have, financial or technological. There is also, I think, going to be uh, an inordinate opportunity for rural churches because uh, of their smaller context to just shine with the light of the gospel. And our church is right now kind of scrambling like all other other churches to to figure out where the needs are and how we can meet the needs. Um, sometimes there's going to be, you know, uh, in our town, just a, a great need to, to know who, where the elderly folks are and, and mm. folks with medical conditions so that we can serve them. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, God willing, it goes well. Um, but also, Stephen, can you elaborate on battling joy killers in small place ministry? I think, again, I think there are going to be joy killers in any kind of ministry. And I yeah. I think of what the Apostle Paul says, that he is a worker for the joy of those, to, those whom he serves. And so if we're going to be workers for the joy of others, we need to be stoking our own joy. We can't we can't serve other people to make them happy in Jesus if we're not happy in Jesus. And so, yeah, I think it's super important that, that each of us as either pastors or lay people in ministry are thinking, okay, what are the, what are the things that steal my joy or diminish or rob my joy? Mm. And... One of the things I've done over the years is just become, I think this is the process of sanctification, of becoming more like Jesus, just to become aware of sins that might steal your joy, mm. um, of temptations, of um, ways that, that I'm uniquely wired that can, that can begin to um, creep in and steal joy in ministry. And so, yeah, one of the things I want to do is, is help others think through what those might be for them. Yeah. And then to to fight with gospel weapons. So I could just yeah. give a couple examples, maybe. Yeah. Uh, one is, uh, uh, I think, a significant joy killer for many rural pastors is this thought that what I'm doing doesn't matter, mm. or doesn't matter as much. Mm. Wow. The um, the ministry heroes these days are mostly urban pastors. Yeah. Yeah. They are mostly. Um, maybe well-published pastors with large followings for their podcasts and they're preaching to thousands of people and they have a platform. And when you are pastoring a church of 35 people in a town no one has ever heard of, and these are not influential people, um, you know, they are just normal people who aren't going to, going to, going to be uh, upstream of culture. They're not going to be creating cultural trends. You're not in a, in a really, impressive city, then you might start to feel, especially just because of the celebrity culture generally in our culture and also in our evangelical subculture, you might start to feel like your ministry just does not count as much, like you're on the JV team. Yeah. And um, that's that's one of the greatest joy killers. That's actually a big part of why I wrote this book, mm. because I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to battle that joy killer with gospel weapons mm. and say... Um, my my message is the gospel, but the gospel should also be informing the kind of ministry that I do. And so I wanted to take a real a closer look at the gospel and 
and try to understand if the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, how does the gospel impact my ministry? What does it say about my rural ministry? And I was just so encouraged over the course of a couple of years as I was looking at this more closely to see that the gospel, although it sometimes comes very big, it also comes small, like a mustard seed. So. It does not privilege big over small. It also doesn't pr- privilege small over the, over big. But it says that one is not necessarily better than the other. It, it it sometimes comes fast. The gospel can change people's lives overnight. There can be people, uh, whole people conversions, you know, whole people group to Christ. But also, very often, the gospel works slowly. Does that does that often in our lives? Sanctification is slow and painful and and progress is not overnight, it's over a lifetime. And and often as well, the gospel feels unstrategic. It, it, it is not just about going to important, influential people. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 that the gospel came to a bunch of people in Corinth and they weren't well-educated or wise or by any kind of worldly standard. So the gospel, I think, isn't just the message we proclaim to rural places. It's also the endorsement that gets us to rural places. Yeah. Not not everybody, but it sends some people to tiny little towns. And it says, hey, the gospel is the news that Jesus came from heaven for ordinary people mm-hmm. like me. And so that's the way God loves to work. He loves to be lavish and, yeah. and even prodigal in his love. Yeah. And um, that we, so, we, you know, it's, it, the gospel is going to send some of us to places that um, feels like uh, I'm going to give 30 or 40 years to a place that most people don't know about. Mm. Yeah. That's okay. That's the way the gospel works. Yeah. Well, I've, I got a sneaking suspicion, uh, Stephen, that your rewards in heaven are going to be bigger than D.A. Carson's. Just, just, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm just using him. I know that he endorsed your book, and we had him on our 100th episode. So, um, But all, all, all joking aside, we really appreciate that there are men and women out there doing God's work, doing Christ's work in these small rural areas that nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. They're just there to serve our Lord and Savior, and I just find that awesome. It is a, it is a sacrifice. And yes. Can you talk a little bit, Stephen, about uh, loneliness? How, how do you deal with loneliness mm. as a joy killer? It yeah, seems to me like that would be one of those things that I think might, personally speaking, be hard. I, uh, I just appreciate the camaraderie that I have around here at the ministry that we have every mm. week, you know, and the guys, the conversations that we have. And it seems to me that loneliness would be one of those things that would be difficult for me to deal with in that uh, context. So can you talk a little bit about that? Have you ever dealt with it, and how do you how do you handle it? Yes, I have. And I think loneliness is often not just a matter of not having anyone to meet with, hmm. say other, hmm. other pastors, but not having deeply like-minded pastors yeah. who yeah, sure. share deep theological affinity and mm. conviction and and look at things the same way yeah um, so one, one of the one of the things I've done in my ministry is just be willing to drive further for that mm. um, you know when you find soulmates uh, yes. who who see Jesus and and see doctrine and see people and theology the way you do it that's worth driving for yeah, yeah. Absolutely. and it's also been 
Yeah, it's also been useful for me to have, um, you know, technology. So yeah. be able to do Google Hangout or Zoom call or be able to see people who are too far away. I can't regularly connect with them, but I can online. That's right. obviously uh, not not even anywhere close to as good, but it's something. Sure. Um, so that's been useful for me. And we've, uh, in the last two or three years now, we've launched in just in New England. Um, it's a regional ministry called Small Town Summits. And our goal is really to gather small town, rural lay people and pastors mm. and give them a day, mm. uh, a day long summit where we talk about our core theological conviction. We cast theological vision for rural ministry, for mm. small town ministry, and we learn from them and, and connect with them. Mm. Gotcha. And we keep these small so that they're really collaborative and they're not expensive and um, that has been a massive encouragement mm-hmm. uh, for us. We've done a bunch of these summits in New England already and have wow. more planned. That's a great idea. Yeah, wow. <sighs> hey, can you talk a little bit, Stephen, about uh, in Chapter 10 of your book, you list some good and bad reasons not to do small place ministry. So can you talk about a few of those? <laughs> yeah, I, um, I think there are many good reasons not to do small place ministry. Somewhere mm. Wendell Berry, says, who I really enjoy reading, says, um, not all pastors should be country pastors. And um, <laughs> I totally agree with that. Um, I think it could be a disaster for some people to go to a, a tiny town. Mm. And um, one one very good reason not to go to, to do small place ministry is because God has called you to a big place, sure, yeah. to a medium-sized place. Yeah. So there are some people who are just wired for city ministry hmm. and some people who are, are uniquely gifted for suburban ministry. And they should go to those places, especially if God's made it made it clear circumstantially or, or however that he wants them there. Um, sometimes people are called to a particular people group. They might be called to uh, to serve people who are very highly educated and serving in academia or artists or a particular immigrant group. And in those cases, uh, folks with that particular ministry call are likely going to wind up in a city mm. if that's where those people are. Sure. So, you know, there are lots of good reasons to do ministry in places other than small towns or rural areas. And one of the things I was really zealous to guard against when I wrote my book was pitting one kind of ministry against the other yeah. and trying to call people away from urban ministry into rural ministry. Mm, Cause gotcha. I want, I want to be a champion for urban ministry. We need cities are growing. We need more people in sure. them. We need more Christians in them. We need more pastors and churches in them. Yeah. And, and there are so lots of good reasons not to go. Yeah. There, and then there's, and again, there's been that challenge as well of, of people staying in the inner cities of cities to do uh, ministries. So uh, I'm really happy that you are champion, yeah. championing for that. I think there are also bad reasons not to do small place ministry, and these concern me. Um, I think a lot of uh, a lot of folks who are graduating from seminary these days may have some of these bad reasons not to do small place ministry. So I list some in the book there, like... Um, you know, there are no good coffee shops and cultural opportunities. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, I'm, I kid you not that that is a that is a reason um, not to do small place ministry. And you know, in my town, we we have um, a Dunkin' Donuts, and we don't have a you know we don't have a viably good coffee shop. So, well, I think you need a Bridge a Ministries up there. 
<laughs> yeah, you, you need a bridge ministry. Uh, this is a, a, a Christian bookstore and coffee shop, and 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 Stephen here does not. Yeah, we need an extension site. Yeah, there, there, there you, you go. go. We, let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> some some seminary grads might think I'm too gifted. I'm too educated. You know, I have a, a graduate degree. I don't want to go minister in a congregation where nobody has an undergraduate degree. Hmm. Um, some some think, I want to make a name for myself, and hmm. uh, a, a tiny little town no one knows of is not a place to do that. Some people think uh, it's too hard to do, it's too lonely, there are too few resources. Um, to which I say, man, city ministry is hard too. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't, don't avoid ministry because it's hard. Um so you know there are lots of lots of good reasons, but also quite a quite a, a list of bad reasons um, that that actually do prevent some people from following. I think what might be the call of God on their mm-hmm. lives to go to a place and pour out their lives in a town that very few people have ever heard of. Wow! Yeah, that that's amazing. Um, well, uh, Stephen, uh, we are about to land the plane. That time went. By quickly, um, and th- I mean, where were we at? Like almost forty-five minutes. Um, so, for all our guests, uh, we we ask them to share the gospel with our listeners. Um, you know, Romans uh, ten fourteen says, "How would they, uh, <clears throat> how would they be called to him who they have never believed? How would they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how would they hear with the one without preaching?" Mm-hmm. And uh, can you just please share the gospel for our worldwide audience today? The gospel is the good news of the salvation that God has accomplished through the, I would say, through the incarnation, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is good news. That's what it means. It's good news not because we do something, but because God has done something. So it's news. It's it's about uh, past events. So God has accomplished salvation through the incarnation, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And further, it, it, we receive that salvation through faith alone as a gift. We don't need to earn it. We don't need to impress God. We don't need to merit the gift that he provides. We can't. We could never. He gives it to us as a gift. And there's, um, I would say there's a narrower focus and there's a broader focus to the gospel. So the kind of narrower focus is God reconciles sinners to himself through the substitutionary death of Jesus. That's right at the core what the gospel is. We can't we can't reach our way to God. Hmm. God has come down to us and Jesus has died as our substitute so that we can be reconciled to God. And the broader focus of the gospel is uh, many of the entailments of the gospel. It's the the presence of God's kingdom that has come. The kingdom of God is already here in part and God's committed to renew the whole world, not just uh, spirits or souls, but bodies and matter and the universe. And he's going to bring about a new creation. And that's the broader focus of the gospel. Um, So God is doing a work that he's already begun through Jesus Christ and is continuing through the Holy Spirit and the the present work of of Jesus Christ to bring about um, a new creation in which he is all in all. And we get to have that all for free hmm. as a gift. That's the Amen. gospel. 
Amen. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's a big gospel in small places, again, with uh, Stephen Whitmer. Stephen, uh, can you just let our listeners know where they can find you, uh, find your book, if you want to be found. I don't know if you want to be found out in the rural areas. but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm happy to be found. <laughs> so if you could just share, share with our listeners where they can find you, where they can uh, look you up and uh, find your book, uh, besides here at Bridge, because we carry the book here at Bridge. <laughs> Yeah, excellent. Um, yeah, so the book is available in most kind of, you know, big booksellers. I'm glad to hear that it's at the bridge as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if they, if they uh, hopefully they go to the bridge. If they don't live near you, they can order it online on Barnes & Noble or Amazon or, or Christian book distributors. Um, and they could, they could uh, befriend me on Facebook um, at Stephen Whitmer and follow on Twitter, Stephen Whitmer one mm. love to connect with people. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen, that is the conclusion of this week's episode. Yeah. Thank you for coming on, Stephen. Uh, I hope we can have you back again uh, some, sometime soon. Uh, really enjoyed this podcast. Yeah. Uh, uh, please, please for our listeners go and get the book. Uh, we barely even scratched the surface on a lot of just information. Again, we only have about 40, 45 minutes. You know, we can we could have gone for just forever with that. Yeah. So, so thank you for coming on. Thank you, guys. I really enjoyed being on. Thanks for the good question. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much, Stephen. Wow, guys, I didn't know that there's a lot, so much information of just doing ministry in a rural area. And just the, the, the challenges that uh, come with just being in a very, very small place. And what, what were your thoughts on it? I really respect people, pastors who do ministry in small places. You know, it's a tough gig. It really is. I grew up in a, well, I grew up as an MK, so that was a small place, but then moved to the U.S. and it was a small city. And uh, they just, you know, a lot of times those rural areas don't offer things that we take for granted yeah. in the larger cities. And uh you know, especially the relationships and the the community that we so take for granted is quite often lacking. It's just not there. And so I really respect, you know, pastors who are willing to, to sacrifice to do that. I like how he said that. I don't know exactly how he worded it, but he said something along the lines of like, that if, if you want other people to have the joy, you have to kind of sacrifice your own. Mm. And I see that in the Apostle Paul's life where yeah. he says that even after he's counseled someone that he, uh, or he's after he's preached, he basically preaches to himself so that he may not be disqualified. So yeah. he's going to go through the same struggles that other people that he's preaching to are going through. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I don't know. I just like that. No, no. I, I, I think it was a good just contrast of just talking about um, uh, rural areas and in, or small places. And then our podcast uh, several weeks ago about just uh, doing ministry in uh, big city and, and some of those things just looking very much similar in, in a lot a lot of areas, but at the same time looking completely different. Yeah, where do you go for the coffee? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, he said he said that you should uh, do a uh, do a little branch out there. We need a we, we gotta we gotta see what we can do about that. I like the north. Northeast. <laughs> yeah. I'm down. Let's do it. <laughs> go, 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 go up to uh, go up east near uh, Boston. That that would be pretty cool. I'm sure they would be greatly blessed by a Christian bookstore and coffee shop. When we see what Bridge has just done here for Laredo, I think it would do the same thing for um, uh, pe uh, what is it, Pepperell, Massachusetts? Pepperell, yep. Massachusetts. Well, ladies and gentlemen, again, please don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, again, please uh, pray for us as we are still 
uh, needing a bigger facility. We are in a very, very small place, speaking about small places, and we're just seeing uh, the ministry just start bursting out of the seams. Uh, but, you know, I know that we'll be here as long as God is going to keep us here. Um, but we are super excited and uh, that if we get an opportunity uh, to move in a bigger facility that we have an eye, an eye on, um, what, you know, we will be able to do for the city of Laredo and holding conferences and teaching and, yep. and, 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 and yes, yeah, serving more coffee to more people. So, well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our episode again. And what, as we always like to leave, uh, our episode, what is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own, but belong body, soul in life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Bye-bye. Later, guys. Goodbye.